Welcome to the podcast of Grandview Baptist Church in Anchorage, Alaska. This episode contains a sermon from April 11th by Pastor Randy titled, Who's Your One? Part 5. One of the things that's going on culturally today is this increased emphasis on individualism, but also tribalism. Those two things shouldn't really be going together, but they are right now in our culture. There's this increased emphasis on individualism. People are, are wanting to take care of themselves. They're, wanting, they're concerned about their own self-preservation. COVID has helped with that. But also people have become more and more isolated. They've become more self-centered. So we have this increased emphasis on, on individualism, but also at the same time in our culture, there's this increased emphasis on tribalism. People are identifying with certain tribes. And so in our culture right now, it's more important what political party you belong to or what your political views are than your own family. But what we find in Scripture is that the Bible sets itself up against individualism. Because we're not to be concerned about ourselves, we're to be primarily concerned about others. We're to deny ourselves, Scripture tells us. So really, this individualism has no place for us. But also, tribalism, as it's presented today, has no place in the Bible. Now, we are, in a sense, very tribal as a people of God because we're the sons and daughters of God. But we're not of this world. We're passing through this world. So things are a little bit different there. And instead of separating us from people who are different, what we do is we take people from different positions, from different cultures, from different backgrounds, and we all welcome them to come in and to serve God with us as we try and reach the world. Because here's the thing, if we don't do away with individualism and tribalism, we'll never be able to make an impact on this world. Because our whole goal there is to, is to reach the world together. And you can't do that if there's individualism and tribalism that, that stops that. And so we've been talking about who's you want for the past couple of weeks. How God wants each one of us to have one person that we're praying for, that we're discipling, so they get connected to God. Now we're going to focus in on this. Just We've got a couple more weeks on this. And as we finish this couple of weeks, we're going to focus in on the book of Acts. Because in the book of Acts, we see all these stories that emphasize how each one is to have a one to reach. And really, the book of Acts itself is about this. Because the book of Acts is written by one person. For one person. Luke goes to a lot of trouble putting all this together. There's a lot of detail in this book. It's, there's a lot of link to it. He goes to a lot of trouble to put this together just to reach one person. But he also, inside this, he gives us stories about how, how God and other people, they go to great lengths, a lot of trouble, just to reach one. And the one we're going to look at today is Philip. There are two Philips in the New Testament. One is the apostle. The other, he begins as a deacon early on in Acts. But then he, he's known as Philip the Evangelist because he's told to go down or, or he goes down to Samaria and he starts a church. And it's booming. Things are going great. People are being reached. The gospel is being spread in Samaria of all places. 
a Jew going to Samaria and spreading the gospel. But it's happening. And so right in the middle of all this stuff that's going on and happening, here's what we read in Acts 8, 26. An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, Get up and go south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. Emphasis, this is a desert road. Meaning, this is in the middle of nowhere. So, I have to question God's strategy here on two levels. Number one, here's Philip in Samaria where a whole lot's going on. He's reaching a lot of people. And you're going to go to him at, has to be a very inconvenient time, and tell him to go to a road in the middle of nowhere. I'm not sure that makes a lot of sense. To take him from where things are happening to have him go to this place where nothing is going on. But there's even a bigger part of this strategy that's going on that I just, I have trouble with. Let's back this up. An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip and says, go to this desert road. Okay? And what we're going to see, he goes this desert road to meet this Ethiopian. I can tell I must be the only one that has a problem with this. Let's try this. An angel tells Philip to go to this Ethiopian. Why not just cut out the middleman? If you're going to do this angel appears thing, why not just have the angel go to the Ethiopian? That'd be a lot more compelling, wouldn't it? But that's not what happens. An angel tells Philip to go to the Ethiopian rather than going to the Ethiopian himself. Why is this? Very simple. God's plan is to use each of us to reach a one. God wants us to be the one. That's his plan. We're going to see this these other couple times. We're going to look at this in Acts. He sets everything up so that one person can go tell one person. Here's another thing that we're going to see. God will go to great lengths to reach just one person. A lot of great lengths. He will go to some very impractical. He will go to things that are just sort of out there, unreasonable, we'd say. Some very impractical and unreasonable lengths to go and reach one person. So not only does God want us to go and reach one, he will go to great lengths, very impractical and unreasonable lengths, in order to get us to go and reach one person. But then we're going to see something else in the next couple of weeks, too. God sets up encounters so we'll have a chance to share. God's working in the background of this in seen and unseen ways just to get us to go and reach one. A lot of things are going on. And the other thing that we're going to see in the next couple of weeks, today in the next couple of weeks, is that people are searching. I know it doesn't seem like it, but deep down, people are really searching. Let's read these verses and let's go on in Acts. So he got up and went, and there was an Ethiopian man, a eunuch and high official of, of Candace, queen of Ethiopians, who was in charge of her entire treasury. 
He had come to worship in Jerusalem and was sitting in his chariot on his way, reading the prophet Isaiah aloud. So here you have a guy who has wealth. He has position. He's got power. He's got all this. And despite having all this, what does he do? He takes two months out of his life, travels about 1,500 miles away from his home, away from Ethiopia, where he has his own religion, by the way, and goes to Jerusalem, a foreign country with a different religion. Why would he do that? Why would he take two months out of his life to take this long trip to go somewhere else? Because something's missing in his life. He's searching. There's something that's just not quite right. So as kids, we all played hide-and-seek. And the object of hide-and-seek is, of course, not to be found. But does anybody really not want to be found? Nobody 30 years later is still going, oh, they haven't found me yet. Because, listen, not only as a father but as a grandfather, I'm a professional at hide-and-seek. Okay, I know how to play the game. And I know how to play it well. What you do is when... They're hiding, when you're hiding and they're counting, and, and they have, you, you make them think you went up this way, you know, and then, then you go hide over here. As soon as they go up that way, you go run and hide where they counted at. They'll never come back and look there. But anyway, sometimes, anyway, when, when the kids are hiding, here's what will happen. After they've been hiding for a while, sooner or later, they're going to do what? They're going to whistle. They're going to cough. They're going to pssst. They're going to do something. They're going to stick a hand out or an arm out and go, oh, shucks, your family. Because nobody really wants to stay hidden. Now, people will give the impression that they're not searching for God. But really, a lot of times they are. And they're not going to say it this way. They're not going to say, boy, I'm looking for God. That's not how they do it. What happens, what they'll say is, you know, I have a hard time coping in my life. I've got guilt and shame I just can't get rid of. I'm looking for a purpose. I need some joy and peace in my life. And they don't realize that they're really on a trip, that, that, that they're really, that they need to be found. It's like the boy that gets lost in a huge department store. And his parents are frantic. But the security guards find him, and they have him, and they, they page the parents to come back for their kid. And so the parents are walking in the room. The kid's eating ice cream. He's having a time of his life. He's enjoying himself. He's fine. He's great. But as soon as he turns and looks at the panic looked on his parents' faces, he starts to cry. And security guard says, I guess he didn't know he was lost until he was actually found. And that's a lot of people. They're searching, but they don't really realize it. So this Ethiopian, he knows some Bible. He goes and tries to get his questions answered, but that's not really what he still doesn't understand. It's still not going on. So let's continue reading. Then the Spirit told Philip, go and join that chariot. And I can imagine Philip saying, look, man, the guy's obviously got wealth. He's got power. He's from a long way off, 1,500 miles away. You know, what, what am I going to do there? But he says, just go. He goes, and this is what happens next. When Philip ran up to it, he heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you're reading? If there's one chapter in the whole Old Testament that you're going to read to tell you about Jesus, that's the one. 
written 700 years before Christ, but talking about his death and what it meant. That's the one to be reading. But notice, Philip doesn't go up to the chariot and go, you know, an angel told me to come here and the Holy Spirit's telling me to do this. No, he just asks, do you understand what you're reading? And then next, how can I, he said, unless someone guides me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. See, this man has gone to the right place. He's gone to Jerusalem. He's got the right scroll. He's got the scroll of Isaiah. So he's looking in the right place. He has the right information. He's got everything right, but he still doesn't understand. And it's not from a lack of sincerity on his part. It's just that he knows the written word, but he doesn't know the living word. In other words, he doesn't have the lens of Jesus through which to look at the word. So he invites Philip to come to the chariot with him. Here's the fifth thing we have to know. Someone must get into the chariot. Sooner or later, you have to get into the chariot. I know it matters how we live because our life can turn people off from the gospel. But sooner or later, you've got to have the gospel conversation with somebody. It matters that you have to have that talk with them about spiritual things. You have to be willing to get into the chariot with them and have the conversation. Faith doesn't come by watching. Nobody's going to say, oh, by the way, you were shoveling snow in your driveway. I just knew I wanted to become a Christian. It's not going to happen that way. Faith doesn't come by watching. It comes by hearing. Here's what we read in Romans 10. How then can they call on him they have not believed in? And how can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear without a preacher? You've got to get into the chariot at some point. It has to happen. Let's continue on. And how can they preach unless they are sent? As is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Now, this is going to seem odd, but follow me. The one thing that millennials who are atheists, the one thing they disrespect most about Christians is their lack of evangelical zeal. Now, they don't say that, but here's what they say. They put this way. They say, I know a Christian. He lives in my dorm or he, or he goes to my class or, or he's where I work at. And he claims to believe in God and claims to believe in heaven and hell. But he never talks to me about Jesus. So either he doesn't really believe what he says he believes or he's a phony or he doesn't care about me. Or they'll put this way. A Christian who is not trying to convert me is not a good moral person. Because if they really believe that the gospel come and change people's lives like they say they do, they would be talking to me about Jesus. Now, I think that's a fair assessment. Because people will talk about what they care about. You don't have any problem getting me to talk about fishing or hunting or scuba diving or grandkids. People will talk about what they care about. So then next, you said to Philip, I asked you, who is the prophet saying this about himself or someone else? Philip proceeded to tell him the good news about Jesus, beginning with that scripture. So Philip got into the chariot. And Philip doesn't say, 
You know, you're an Ethiopian and you're a eunuch. There are some things you need to know about the Jewish law. There are some things you need to know about Jewish politics. He doesn't say that. Because the good news of the gospel is not your morals. The moral, your morals aren't going to save you. The good news of the gospel is not your political viewpoints. Your political viewpoints are not going to save you. The good news of the gospel is Jesus. You have to know who the star of the show is. And so you're not asking somebody to surrender to a doctrine. You're asking them to surrender to a person. And once they surrender to a person, they will do what that person says. And that's what happens next. As they were traveling down the road, they came to some water. The unit said, look, there's water. What would keep me from being baptized? So he ordered the chariot to stop, and both Philip and the eunuch went down to the water, and he baptized him. Once you surrender to Jesus, you will do what he says. If you don't do what he says, you haven't surrendered to Jesus yet. See, that's the big problem we have in our culture today. You have all these people that are brought up in the church, and they believe. They believe that Jesus is the Son of God. They believe that. They had died on the cross for them, but they never have come to the point of obeying him yet. That belief has never come to the point of surrender yet. So you have these kids that grow up in the church. They get older. They go off. They never give the church or Christianity a second look in their life at all. And you go, What happened? They grew up. We taught them to believe. Yeah, but they never learned to obey. They never learned to surrender. So you know this guy surrendered to Jesus because he's ready to do what he says. Number six, the best evidence that someone understands salvation is when they share with others, when they have a one. The best evidence that somebody understands that they're forgiven You know they understand they're forgiven when they're willing to forgive others. Not just willing, they see it as a privilege to be able to forgive others. You know when somebody understands grace because they're willing, not just willing, but they they see it as a privilege to be able to give grace to other people. And you know when someone understands the gospel when they're willing, not just willing, they see it as a privilege to go find a one and to share with. See, the problem is, is not that Christians live secretly sinful lives, it's just they live secretly Christian lives. Here's how this plays out. Sharing Jesus with others doesn't come naturally to me. You ever heard that before? Ever said that before? It just doesn't come naturally to me. People who will say that will always say this. Forgiving other people, that just doesn't come naturally to me. Loving other people just doesn't come naturally to me. So first of all, you're saying that, that Jesus expects you to do something that he hasn't given you the ability to do. But in a way, I get that. Because yes, it doesn't come naturally to you. That's why you need the Holy Spirit. That's why Jesus says, when the Holy Spirit shall come upon you, then you shall be my witnesses. See, the problem, the reason it doesn't come naturally to you is because maybe there's something missing between you and your connection with God. Because every time Luke talks about being filled with the Spirit, he doesn't talk about it as being filled with the Spirit as something that's, that's going to 
be, build you up with something that's good for you. Whenever you feel with the Spirit, it's always so you can do something for others. What is it? To share the gospel with them. In Acts chapter 2, the Spirit falls down at Pentecost. What's the result? They're preaching the gospel in other languages. Just a little bit later, Peter and John, they're arrested for hitting a lame guy. They're before the Sanhedrin. They're filled with the Spirit. And the filled Spirit, what does that result in? Them sharing the gospel with the Sanhedrin. Later on in Acts chapter 4, the, the place shakes. The Spirit comes down. They're filled with the Spirit. And it says it results in them bold witnessing. Maybe the problem is on why it doesn't seem natural to you. Maybe you just need to get connected to God because here's what's going to happen. Here's what we need to understand. God cares about this. He cares about having his one, having a one. So he'll send angels. He sends his Holy Spirit so that someone who is searching can meet somebody who's filled with the Holy Spirit and therefore hear the gospel. We want to make it about us. God says, no, this is never just about you. It's so you will find a one, so you'll have a one. The next thing, no one gets to Christ on their own. Everyone needs some help. So a little over 50 years ago, Neil Armstrong, first man to walk on the moon, He didn't get there on his own, did he? He had a lot of help. 17,000 people worked on the spaceship. 500 people just on a space suit. And if you took everybody who had even a small role to play and get him to the moon and back, it's over 400,000 people. Nobody gets anywhere significant by themselves. Do you remember the paralyzed guy that those four friends brought to Jesus, but they couldn't get in the house. It was too full of people, so they took them to the roof, cut a hole in the roof, and let them down. He had to have help to get to Jesus. So think of it this way. People are paralyzed, and they need some help to get to Jesus. Some people are paralyzed by a hard life. Some people are paralyzed by their own poor choices. Some people are paralyzed by addictions. Some people are, 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 are paralyzed by a Abuse that they suffered earlier in life. People are paralyzed and they need some help to get to Jesus. And remember what happened when, when they let that guy down in front of Jesus? What did Jesus say? What did Scripture says? Scripture says, and seeing their faith, he then forgave that man's sins and healed him. He saw their faith. So this guy, he got what he needed because of their faith. Think of it this way. God never promised Sarah that she would have a child. That's why the whole Hagar thing happened. But one night Moses walks out of his tent, looks at the stars in the heaven, and God says, as numerous as the stars, that's how numerous your descendants are going to be. God made a promise to Abraham. Why? Because of, Abraham, his righteousness, because he believed God, he pronounced righteous. And Sarah got the blessing. She became pregnant. What about when all of Israel is being chased by the Egyptian army and they're up against the Red Sea? They're terrified. They're about all to die. But Moses believed God. The Red Sea parted. The whole, all of Israel got the 
See, the salvation, they got to live because of that. It's no different than when David comes to Goliath, the whole Israel army is shaking in their boots because of Goliath. David comes along and believes God, and the whole army gets the victory. Someone needs you to believe God for them. Someone needs you to, to say, I know what Jesus can do. I know what God can do. I've got to get him there. So who's your one? They're paralyzed, and they need to get to Jesus. And lastly, this. Luke 10, 2. The harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest. Now, this is repeated in other Gospels. But what's unique about this is that Jesus talks a lot about prayer, encourages us to pray. But this is the only time where he says, I want you to specifically pray for this. He doesn't tell us to specifically pray for anything, but he says, this right here, you need to specifically pray for this. So they're out looking at a bunch of people, and they go, we need, Jesus says, we need to pray. And they're going, yeah, we need to pray for, for the people. And Jesus says, no, no, we need to pray for us. We need to pray for us. So let me offer you some help to do this. I will give you permission for the next two minutes to take out your cell phone and to scroll down and go to your alarm. And if you want to use Matthew, I think that's 938. Or if you want to do this, use 10-2 to set your alarm at 10-02 in the morning or evening, whatever you want to do. And when that alarm goes off, remember to pray. And this is what you pray. God, send labors to the harvest, and I, make me be one of them. I want to be one of them. God, we need people who are willing to get a one, Father, and I want to be one of those. Is that something that you're willing to do? If you start praying this, guess what? God's going to open your eyes up, and you're going to begin to see people around you who need a one. People who are paralyzed. Paralyzed either due to their addictions or paralyzed due to their own poor choices or because they've had a hard life or because of false teaching or something like that. They're paralyzed. And your eyes are going to be opened up. And then you have a challenge for you to become so connected to God that God uses you to reach them. That's your choice. That's what God wants. We've been at this for several weeks. And, and what I want you to see clearly is that God has a world on his heart. 
For God so loved the world, right? And this is how he wants to do it. Through us. That we will go to someone else. Everyone needs a one. So that he will go through us for someone else. But that's not going to happen until we're connected to him. Until you have that change of heart, to your heart becomes like God's heart, and you have that desire to see someone come to him, that you want to say, God, I want this to happen. Use me to do it. God, I'm praying for this someone. Use me, God. I want to be the one that comes to his life and, and to, to have that gospel conversation with him. Because we're in a world that's become increasingly individualist and also tribalist. That tribalist is not a word, but y'all know what I mean. Or it may be a word, who knows. I'm not even sure. But listen, that's going to destroy. That's going to come in and destroy our churches. If we don't decide, it's not just for me, and I'm not going to stay in my little corner. Instead, what am I going to do? I'm going to, with other people, and not just to be ourselves, but we're going to get people from different backgrounds, different cultures, people who are different races, different from us, and, and God, put them on my heart so that we can have a one to share with. That's the only way this works. The church doesn't live any other way. If you think we've got long to live with the culture that we're in today as a church, you're wrong. We don't. We don't have long to survive. And guess what? If this is the way we're going to say we shouldn't survive because we've lost our connection to God. What right do we have to, to lose our saltness and still be hanging around? No, Jesus says, you lose your saltness, that's it. You've lost your use for me. You're no longer useful if you refuse to have a one. If you become so self-centered and so, so worldly tribal that you just want to say, no, if they're not like us, you know, we want to just push them away. It doesn't work that way. And so the church will continue its decline, not just in numbers, but its moral decline, its ethical decline, in every other way that counts. There's only one way to stop it. And that's for you, meaning each one of you, to get a one. Somebody who you're praying for and you're discipling till they become connected to God. This may be someone who, who seems atheistic. This may be someone who says they're a Christian, but they're still not really connected to God. That part of discipleship is not done till they're connected to God. And so you pray for them. And you have the conversations to them with them. It has to happen. It has to happen. So we're going to look in the next couple weeks at a couple more stories. And we're going to see how 
this is God's plan through Acts. The book of Acts, to, to, to go to all this trouble, to set up things in the background, unreasonable things even, just to put somebody who's searching with somebody who's filled with the Spirit and get them connected. So, is it going to work for you? It'll start by every day pray. 10 and 2. 10 and 2. 10 and 2. Any way you want to figure this out. You do nine, You could do 938 backwards and have it 839 anymore. I don't care. Just, just make yourself do this every day. Just make it happen. Thank you for tuning into the podcast of Grandview Baptist Church in Anchorage, Alaska. For more information, check out our website at gbcak.org.